in chapter three, verse 19. We're going to be going through the end of the chapter here this morning and, um, Message titled, Guilty But Forgiven. Stand with me if you would. Let's read together as we do this to bring uh, our hearts and our attentions to God's word. Uh, recognizing that it's, he, it has power to change us. And that it, it, he has given it power to minister and work in our lives. And so we're t- treating it reverently with uh, respect and in knowing that it's got power. So let's do that. Lord, first of all, we just want to pray, God, that you would speak to us by your word, that you would um, encourage and convict and do whatever you want to do in our lives here this morning. We pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, Lord, um, that you'd minister, that uh, you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and that we'd be able to understand and um, change where we need to change. Give us that ability. And um, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. You're so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 19 of chapter 3 of Galatians. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in in Christ Jesus For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You may be seated. So Paul's continuing on his... uh, Justification by faith alone, as he's uh, giving this doctrine and supporting it. He is encouraging uh, these believers of Galatia that, that it is through Abraham that the promise was made and fulfilled the seed being Christ. That God made a promise that he was going to redeem, that he was going to restore, and it was going to be through the seed of Abraham. That was Christ coming And then restoring not just the Jews, but the whole world. And now we're neither, you know, male nor free. So we'll get into that in just a second here. But he starts off in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of of a mediator. What purpose does the law serve? Paul's going to ask a couple questions that would have been on the minds of especially Judaizers, right? So they're like, well, then why did God even give us the law? 
What's the point of the law? If, if we're not saved by it, then what was it a mistake that he gave it? And Paul is defending it on every side. The law was not bad. It's just incomplete. So what's the point of the law? What is the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions. Well, now what does that mean? Transgressions. Well, the actual meaning of transgression has, it has a kind of an idea of it being overwhelmingly insufficient. Uh, it added transgression means standing, stepping over the boundary, like transgressions, trespassing against the law, trespassing against what God had ordained for us. So it speaks to us stepping over the boundary, and it also speaks to the depth of how far we've stepped over the boundary. The law, what the law does is it removes the, I'm trying my best, I'm doing my best, and I'm doing a pretty good job. The law will reveal to you, you are not doing your best, and you are not doing a good job. <laughs> you are lost. The law makes our, our sin like multiplied because we start to realize we are way further off than we ever thought that we were. And of course we know the closer you draw to the Lord, the closer you draw to God, the more you recognize how desperate you are for him, how much worse off that you were on your own, how completely fallen you are. And ultimately the main point is how guilty you are before it. Even when we read the, the book Pilgrim's Progress, uh, I'm just picking it up again, but it speaks to uh, this, this, you know, pilgrim that's reading through uh, this book and he's overwhelmed with sorrow as he recognizes he is guilty and condemned to death. And then, of course, later on, he meets evangelists. The evangelist comes and shows him eternal life. But he recognizes that was, what was in the book had condemned him to death. He was absolutely guilty. And for us, it's completely important for us to understand that we are guilty. There is no scale or like scale or curve or anything like that. We are hundred percent guilty and we stay in that place of guilt aside from what Jesus did. And when we walk away from that, we let our, allow ourselves to be back under that and under outside of the umbrella of Christ. And that is not where we want to be. So the law, it was important because it added to, to transgressions. It shows us where we're off. It shows us how much we've missed the mark. And it adds like, man, it is worse than I thought it was. It was a lot further than I thought it was. And, and my, by the way, if anyone says I'm doing my best, that's a lie. No one's doing their best at anything, okay? Everyone is, has, could leave more out there, all right? We all make mistakes and we know it. We all take shortcuts sometimes and we know it. The law just calls us out on it. Okay, and you know, maybe you have friends like that, that uh, are willing to call you out on stuff that you can convince everybody else of that's that you're okay. And they're like, oh, um, no, that was not it. You know, say you're a marathon runner and you're super fast and you can run the mile in, let's say four minutes. Okay. And uh, you show up and you're with a little group run and, and you're like, oh, I just did my best out there. And you ran a five 520 mile. Everyone would say, well, that's really impressive. Unless somebody knew you were a marathon runner and then you go, no, that was not your best. You can't say that was your best because I know full well better. You could give more than that. I've seen, you know, so it's good and important to have friends like that, but even more so it's important to have the word of God to point to us. The law points to us to show you are guilty on way more accounts than you ever thought possible. So what purpose does the law serve? It's added transgressions to us to show us our guilt till the seed should come 
to the pro- who the promise was made and was appointed through the angels by the hand of the mediator. It is all about pointing our need again to the Messiah. Our guilt points to the fact that we need a Messiah. We need someone to save us, to, to go and, and become our guilt for us. Can't do it on our own. It's important to understand. Moses received the Ten Commandments from the ministry of angels. That's what it's talking about, the mediator. Uh, there was a couple mediators, we could say, between God and the children of Israel. God has the law. It's delivered by the hands of the angels. It's given to Moses. Moses gives it to the people. So there's mediators all involved. This is all that we have as far as a relationship with God aside from Jesus. Because of sin, right? How was there any communication? Was there uh, the offerings that were brought before the Lord? Uh, The high priest would have to go in for the people, become completely cleansed, offer it up, hope that he doesn't die when he goes into the Holy of Holies, and then kind of get out of there real quick, right? And we've mentioned before that he would have a rope tied around his leg uh, and, uh, or, or around his body and, and a bell to make sure he's, he's moving. Is he alive? <laughs> Do you have unconfessed sin? Has he come before the, you know, the, the Lord without uh, sin being dealt with, without there being sacrifices made? It was all about mediation. We did not have direct access to God. Did, we did before uh, sin came into the world, right? That's Adam and Eve. That is the whole point of man and God. God loves us so much. He wants to have fellowship with us. Not only does he want to have fellowship with us, we're literally, we're created for it. So when you see people get everything that the world has to offer and they're miserable, or when you see yourself get everything the world has to offer and you're miserable, it's because you weren't created for things. You were created for him. So anytime we feel like we're outside of the will of God in, in that sense, then you will be, find yourself miserable. And it's kind of like the more that you get, the more miserable you get because you recognize like how much it doesn't work. How much it almost feels like the more you get, the more estranged you get because you, your whole like theory of this will bring me happiness is being shattered over and over again because you know the power didn't do it. Wealth didn't do it, you know, prestige, whatever. It doesn't do it. Can't do it in and of ourselves. The, you know, when I, I finally got married, that'll do it. That didn't work. You know what'll do it then if I have kids? Well, that didn't work. I found now that I have less know who I am, my identity is even further off. And so now it's a big problem because now I'm responsible for other people. Not only am I selfish, but now it's becoming even more obvious to me that I'm selfish. And it's been getting worse and worse. Well, okay, fine. Once I get a good job, like an actual career, that'll make a difference. And finally, if I can, you know, stop being paycheck to paycheck, that'll do it. No, well, how come that doesn't do it? Why am I still not there? Well, you know what? Maybe I need a faster car. That would finally do it. I think, oh, yeah, okay. So you get a car and now the car owns you. You have payments. You're back to being paycheck to paycheck, right? Yeah, you know what we need is a house. If I, that's the thing I've been missing, a home. But we, we go from thing to thing. Oh, you know what it is? It's retirement. Then I don't have to work anymore. Life will be good. By God's grace, if you make it to retirement, you will find out that that is not the fulfillment either. None of this stuff does. So if we can get this now, we can save ourselves a whole lot of trouble. And we can understand what we, man, this is what we were created for. This is the most important thing in your life. It's kind of like 
Christianity is, is so often put on like kind of like a, a side of our life. Like it's part of what I am. It's not who I am. This, is, this whole chapter, the end of this chapter is all about identity. And if our identity is messed up, everything's messed up. We don't know who we are. We don't know whose we are. We don't know what we're supposed to do. There's no mission. There's no master. There's no nothing. We're completely lost. We're wandering about. And we, we just, we're like a, a, a ship without a rudder. But this is about identity, knowing who we are in Christ. Verse 20 is an extremely weird verse. Like it's a verse that's one of the most obscure, definitely the most obscure in Galatians, maybe even in the New Testament. Um, I was reading a commentary that there was 250 to 300 different interpretations of this verse. Uh, so we're kind of going with the overwhelming, you know, kind of like what, what seems like it makes the most sense here. Verse 20, now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Did you get it? Okay, cool. Let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's uh, James Montgomery Boyce said this. this is a quote. He said, The general thought seems to be that the promised must be considered superior to the law because the law is one-sided. The law was mediated, and this means that man was party to it. The promise, on the other hand, is unilateral. Man is not party to it. The blessings of the law are conditional on our ability to keep the law. Basically, that's what that means. You have a mediator involved, and, and there's, it's this relationship where we are responsible for it. What was the deal with the, 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 what, the blessing that God gave, the promise he gave to Abraham? He says, Abraham, I'm going to do this in your life. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all. I'm going to do it. Like, this is not something where, like, hey, Abraham, I'm going to do it if you keep doing everything right. And as soon as you mess up, it's all messed up. The law was absolutely contingent. Our righteousness found in the law was contingent on being able to keep it. Right? And there's absolutely blessings. This is where it gets tricky. There are absolutely blessings with keeping the law. Even aside from being saved by it. There are blessings in keeping the law because this is God's standard and it's a good thing to do. Take the Ten Commandments. Could we all use some more of that in our life? Right? Who really has an issue with the Ten Commandments? Right? If you really break it down, do we not want this in our lives right now? Is, would, this, would we be a better society without this? The idea is to think that if, if you are saved by doing these things, that's just not going to happen. But there is a blessing in keeping them. But it's conditional. Knowing the Ten Commandments is one thing. Applying them to your life, especially out of a place where God is doing it in you, that's a whole other thing. But there's blessing in that. There will be blessing in that, but it's contingent based on... What we do. Uh, Deuteronomy 5 verses 32 through 33 says this. Therefore you should be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. That you may live and that you may dwell. uh, That you may be well with you. And that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall live. Hear the contingency. You shall walk in all the ways of which the Lord your God has commanded you. That's, you shall walk in that. That you may live. There's the contingency. You walk in them and that way you may live and have this life that is 
it's all contingent on this, right? Keeping in line with the Lord. It's a blessing to do it. It is not salvation. And and we're going to find out even this is flawed. It points to a, a new creation that naturally does this. And that's what Jesus, the seed, came to do. Verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Another question Paul has to ask because he's like, I know you're wondering this. I know this is what's in your mind. Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been from the law. The law was not evil. It was just there to show us where we're off, right? It set the standard to show us how guilty we are. But there's, it's separate from the promise. The law is, is extremely important, but it's separate from the promise. The promise is Jesus. The law is showing us how flawed we are. It's the result of sin. It is the complete overtaking of sin. And we're going through it. I mean, I've been going through it uh, in the reading, right? If you're doing the, the yearly reading, you're going through the law and you're like, this is heavy. And there's some, there's some stuff in there that you hear in the law and you're like, that is so good. That is such sound advice. That is so important. I've got to remember that. That's a good thing. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that point. But it is not to save us. That came from the promise. Righteousness would come from Christ. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You guys check that song. Yeah, you know, Kellen and I really, we talked about it for weeks beforehand. No, he just played it. And that's awesome. (laughs) Verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What, What has the scripture done? What's the point of reading the Bible? It has confined us all under sin. Confined speaks to like prison, jail. You are imprisoned by your sin. One commentator put it, you're in, in, in jail and sin is the bars holding you in. They, we've been confined by sin. The scripture has, has made it evident that we are confined by our sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The, the law reveals the state and the nature of our guilt. It is so important to not minimize how guilty you are or not minimize the, not minimize, minimize exactly how far off we are and to recognize that before the Lord, to keep short accounts, not trying to uh, act like you're better than you are. I mean, there's something very cleansing about like taking a walk with the Lord and just trying to confess every single thing you could think of that is, that is sin in your life and can say it out loud, by the way. God, I am guilty of this. I have acted like this. I have thought like this. I have been like this. I am a guilty man. Can you do something with that? Can you work with that? Because that's the funny thing. is like the more we conceal it, the more we miss out on giving him the opportunity to work with it. Because he says, I, I, that is the only thing I can work with. Is someone who comes and understands their guilt and understands how fallen they are and understands how desperate they are for me. It's Jesus and the Pharisees versus Jesus and, and the sinners he encountered, right? The woman at the well, you know, woman caught in the act of adultery. What a sinner on the cross. 
He finds these people where they're at, and they're like, I need help. I can't do it. I'm desperate for you, God. And, and the funny thing is, we've all been there. Oh, I'm sh- I would think, okay, I can't speak for everyone. We've all been there at that place where we're like, God, I am so desperate for you. Like, I need you so bad. But there's something about hum- like mankind that we become comfortable and we start making roots and we start making our, our little houses and we start feeling like we're good and we're all right. We're set. We don't need help anymore. And, and that was before. And now I've kind of got it all together. And that is so toxic for in the life of a believer. The life of a believer has to be, continue to be, a place of desperation on your knees before the Lord. Like, I am guilty. I am, and I, I am saved by your grace, but I know how easy it is for me to go back to the ways of the flesh. Help me to see it like it is prison. When I read the Bible, let me to see it like it is I'm not getting away with anything. I am imprisoning myself under sin. I'm not, I'm not better off. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, because I got away with it, does not help me in the long run. Let's say you were able to cheat on every single math and spelling test growing up. You never had to learn any of it. What are the results later on in life? You, I see you got a great GPA. You're like, oh yeah, did really well. You know, they're like, but I noticed that you can't, couldn't spell your name on the sheet of paper here. That kind of seems like a problem. You're going to be writing reports for this job. Do you think that's a problem? You're like, um, like writing, writing, like you mean someone else doesn't do that for me? You know, you can't only Google so much, right? But there's like a, a, a reality of, man, you're going to have to go through stuff and you're going to have to realize, you know, I don't know how to spell that word. Or, you know, I, I remember I was in a spelling bee when I was a kid and, and I, I liked spelling and I was pretty good at it. I think I was fifth in my class. How about that? Okay, so that's okay. But I got burned on, a, on one, do you know what the word is? And I will never not know how to spell it again. It was asthma. I think it was like in third or fourth grade, asthma. And I said A-Z-M-A. I don't know. I don't have it, okay? It's like, I'm sorry, my lungs are in good shape, and I apologize for that. I wanted it, though, because I thought the inhaler was the coolest thing ever. I had friends with it. I'm like, I want that so bad. I think I faked a sickness once to get one. Uh, <laughs> you're like, and I tried it. I'm like, yeah, and I'm over this. No, it's not good. But A-S-T-H-M-A, right? Asthma. <laughs> that, where's the thma in there, anyway? Teaching our kids how to read, you're just like, English, I'm sorry, honey, English is a mess. We just like, we just do whatever, we have to make rules for everything because nothing really pans out. Anyway, it's kind of like legalism. You have to kind of work around the system. But I, I will always remember that where I'm like, you know what? I did not know how to spell that word. And I hated that feeling. It was such a like revealing, but I don't know how to spell it. And I thought I did know how to spell it. That's the worst part. Like, I really thought I knew how to spell it. In my head, it was always A-Z-M-A. He's got asthma. 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 Right? That wasn't the case, was it? But it was important for me to recognize that. And from, from that point on, I will never misspell it again because I recognized the, the problem. I didn't know what I thought I knew. I wasn't as good at spelling as I thought I was. Fifth place out of 30 kids. It's okay. It's a sixth. I was decent at math too, you know. Top sixth of the class. Not any better than that. 
Anyway. But that's the idea, is that the Scriptures can find us and and, and put us in a prison. It reveals to us our state of guilt, how far off we really are, how entangled we really are. And this is something I think most of us go on for years without recognizing you're actually enslaved. You're actually in jail. You don't even know it. Because you think your freedoms are freedoms, but they're, they're enslaving you. They're actually keeping you from doing the things you're supposed to do, the things that you're called to do, the things that would bring you satisfaction in Christ. Well, I guess we all have our own thing to figure out with that, right? Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, uh, kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So we see that the law is, it shows us that we're imprisoned by it because sin has imprisoned us. We also, this is a little bit of a different part of the law. It actually keeps us. It, it holds us from going further down the road of sin, Right? Maybe not perfectly into sanctification, but if you keep the law in the sense of you really are doing the things it says, if you can keep the Ten Commandments more or less than a person that disregards them completely, there is a blessing in that. Honestly, this is kind of how you raise your kids early on. Like, they don't know what's right and wrong, so you have to, like, give them rules. Like, I, I, listen, don't cross the street, you know, like, on your own. That's a rule. I'm pretty hard and fast on that rule. Don't talk to strangers. Don't, you know, like, that's a rule. You will be guarded and kept by those rules, you know. Don't say those words. Don't have a bad attitude. You know, don't, whatever it is, you know. It used to be like, don't leave the dinner table. That, that, that one seems gone. I don't know. Maybe in your house it's not. It's like, don't, don't walk around during dinner. It's like, whatever. You could choose your battles, I guess. But, uh, there's, there's all kinds of different things that you can look at and you can go, these are different things that will keep us and it's all under the law. So it is able to keep us. And he uses this uh, interesting um, kind of like word picture of the tutor. And when we think of a tutor, obviously we think of someone who helps you with math or helps you with English or whatever. Someone that's going to come alongside you and teach you things. But in, in the ancient world, what a tutor would more likely be, usually a slave, uh, a Greek slave or so, but someone that would help you raise your kids, basically. So they would go along and help you raise your kids. The, the Greek word was paedagogos, uh, which is awesome because I don't speak Greek, but... Um, they, they didn't just teach a child. They kind of watched over the child and made sure that they went to school and would pick them up and, and would make sure that they weren't doing something stupid and, and kind of like were overseeing the kid. Like, I, I'm your shadow. I'm going to make sure that you're not doing dumb stuff and I'm going to take care of your, you know, make, you know for, your, for the parents. And so it was kind of like you take care of them until they can recognize the right thing to do for themselves. And that's something we got to do with kids, right? If you have a kid, you know this. Like, I got to save you from yourself. You're just not there yet. You don't get it. I, it's fine. Like, you're just a kid. Like, but there will be a, come a time where you're not going to need that anymore. And so the tutor would only be there until the point where the kid was responsible for themselves. And then they could go on and be friends and remain friends. But the tutor's purpose was 
to get you to that place where it's kind of keeping you from hurting yourself. <laughs> to keep you from doing extra damage to yourself. And the law really does do that. And we, the law has a, an amazing ability to keep us safe from all kinds of things. I mentioned this before. But we had a medical doctor uh, who taught Leviticus at the Bible College. And he talked about how Leviticus was full of insanely good medical advice. That was thousands of years before its time. Stuff that a hundred years ago they didn't know. So there is beautiful truths that are found in the law. And, it, and they're good things, stuff we wouldn't have known, like don't touch dead bodies. And, you know, like, why not? I don't know. Well, don't mess with pork if it's not cooked right. And don't do that. You know, all these different things that if you look at it, you go, this is, this is good advice. Don't kill your neighbor's ox or, you know, like don't, don't take their this or that or whatever. It's like, yeah, those, that is good advice. Also extremely... Uh, Specific, apparently, this is, it's always kind of funny when you're going through the law, you're like, oh, okay, that was obviously a real thing that just happened. I can't imagine that happening in my life, but uh, there you go, very specific. And there would be blessing in keeping that. But th- this is the thing that the tutor, when it ends, it's the same thing for us. When we're, for the, uh, verse 25, but, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The goal of a parent is to, sure, lay out rules, lay out, like, basically the laws. But you want to get them into the place where they learn to trust in Jesus so that their heart changes and they want to do these things. And now they're doing them on their own, not because it's a hard, fast rule. Sometimes the hard, fast rules are important, you know. It's like, hey, um, pray about it. Listen, Canon, pray about it. Uh, I don't think you should run across the street, but just pray about it. It's between you and God, man. You know, that, that's not good parenting. That sounds like CPS is on their way. Okay. They heard it through your phone. You've been buzzed. It's over. Okay. They're on their way and you're, you're toast, you know, Hey, pray about it, man. Hey, I, look, I wouldn't eat the poison, but just it's between you and God. Listen, dude, it's like, oh, no, you're not eating the poison. No, you're not crossing the street. And if you try, there will be consequences. Okay. But at the same time, we're going to want to get to the point where you go, look, look, look. You, you can see it all for yourself now. Can you see it? This is, this is not what will save you. This is not what will sanctify you. We're not under the tutor anymore because we've got the real thing. And now it's not that we don't look at the law as, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to We get to do this. Inside of us is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to want to do good works. The law is no longer a heavy burden. It's something that naturally comes out of you. You're fulfilling the law because Jesus fulfilled the law and Jesus lives inside of you. So if we want to get, if we'll get, we will always be frustrated if we try to do it the other way around. And, and that's one of the tragedies of growing comfortable with our relationship with the Lord is that you kind of forget that he does it. You kind of start feeling like you're doing it. And by the way, you're not doing it. And it's not going well. And tragedy is coming. (laughs) You might be kind of keeping the law. But you're not changed from the inside out. You're trying to go back to the tutor. But you've grown past that. Because the living God. You've got restoration of fellowship again. You're not dealing with a mediator anymore. He's speaking to you directly. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith. 
in Christ Jesus. We're no longer slaves, but sons. We no longer need a mediator. You can always come to me, son. You can always ask me, son. I will always be there for you, my daughter. Whatever you need, I'm here. It's no longer, mediators are no longer necessary. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now this is a really, really drives the point home. Baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is full immersion into, this is a full immersion into, into Christ. Like fully, 100%, like I'm all in. This is saying, like, I don't, I'm not holding anything back, right? For as many as you are baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Like, I am allowing you to touch every part of my life. And I was listening to a message, and it was really funny. He was talking about how um, a lot of times you see people, if they fall into the water. It was, it was David Guzik. I was listening to his message, and he said one of the guys that was in his church was in Vietnam, and he had this angel food cake can. And um, he was so excited about it uh, that he was walking along the river. And he's like, man, it's kind of like slippery. And, and he says he eventually fell in. And the only thing that didn't go in was the can of angel food cake because it was so important to him that he didn't let it go into the water. And, and the idea is that it was of more value than anything else. He said his rifle was gone. All this other stuff was gone. He's got the angel food cake, you know. This desperate times, right? When you're holding on to angel food cake like that. For many of us, it would be like if you fell into the water, um, you drop your kid and everything else, and you hold your phone up, make sure it doesn't get wet, uh, or whatever it might be. <laughs> whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's whatever it is that you're keeping out from the baptism of Jesus, it, it is a problem. We, are, we have our dog, and I always have to be careful with her. She needs to be, she needs to be chained often because she's little and she's crazy, and she's proven to not be trustworthy yet. She's getting better, but not trustworthy yet. So there's times where I actually will have one leash on, and I'll bring her to a spot. Then I hook her to another leash where it's longer, and she can hang out in this little area and won't destroy everything. Okay, this is her spot. It's okay. So I'll go from one to the other, and so she's t- technically got two leashes on at one time. That's overkill, right? Don't really need two leashes on. But it's kind of like the idea of when we are uh, fully in sin and we fully recognize that we're, uh, you know, apart from Christ, you have all of these chains on you, holding on to you, and you allow God to come in and to cleanse it. But anything that we leave outside of the baptism of Jesus is still holding us. So you can get rid of 50 chains but if one remains, you're still stuck. And that, and that is, this is freeing. This is not like, this is not like heavy or a trip. This is good. This is freeing. So that means like if you're holding on to something, good news, it's better than what you're experiencing right now. If you lay it down, if we allow God to have it, it's better than you're experiencing right now. How, what can this look like? You know, <laughs> Whatever it is you want to hold on to, whatever it is you think is more important than, or, or that you think you can manage better than God, this is called an idol. This is called a, a, a stumbling block or a chain, something that is holding you back. 
And, and when the time comes, you're going to find out that that thing is holding you way more than you thought it was. But you were made to run. You were made to run. God has given you freedom. One of the best things I could do, I, I love it. There's, okay, all of you have been good. This is an open space. As soon as I take that chain off, she's gone. And not she's like, like not leaving us or anything, but she's just going to perimeter sweep and she's going to, she's like, yeah, let's go. And then she comes right back and she's like, I'm ready to party. Let's do it. You got a ball? What do you want? You know? Because she's experienced the freedom. She knows as long as that leash is on, she is restrained and she can't do everything that she wants to do and was made to do. And so this is, this is where we look and say, are we fully baptized and immersed into Christ? And, and here's the, here is what that looks like when we leave nothing behind. We're being fully immersed. That in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is our identity. And the less you hold on to, the more easy it is to recognize it's your identity. I think one of the hardest things when I personally came to know the Lord was that I struggled with, I, I still wanted to have my own identity. I wanted to be what I was about. And I wanted to kind of like mix them in and be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But like, listen, don't peg me in that hole. I'm different too. But like, you know, I could do other, I like music still too. You know, good music, right? Not just the bad stuff. Like, you know, like good music. But I, it's, it's interesting. Like anything that you hold out from God's cleansing, he's going he's gonna to bring you down. And, and for me personally, I continued on in like the scene that I was involved in. And it was a bad thing for me. And I knew it was bad for me. And it was holding me back. And God allowed me to be dealt with in an extreme way to wake me up. You did not let go. You did not want your identity to be in me alone. You wanted to hold out your identity. And I heard this really, really interesting section um, or a commentary on this was people who have more, are more comfortable with things they have in common with others that isn't Christ. What he used actually was politics. If you are more akin to someone who shares your political views it doesn't know Christ, then someone who doesn't share him and does, you found your God. That was the point. And, and the, there's some things that are really important and there's some things that are extra, like, no, no there's, that's straight up wrong and we get that. But this was the point. It was by, that was again, Guzik. I was listening to it and I was like, oh my goodness. But it's just put anything in there that you want. Whatever it is, there's always something in us that we're like, well, no, yeah, I'm cool we're cool with all these believers, but my identity is still kind of tied up in other stuff. And it kind of looks like Christianity, but it's also a little different. And the fruit is very different. We need to find our identity found in Christ. When we find our identity in Christ, we start to not only be around the people who think like us exactly, but we're around people who are placed there by God to minister and work on us. One of the biggest things that happened for me personally when I actually pers- came to the Lord and God started changing my life is I started hanging out with really different people than I'd ever been around. And that was weird because it was kind of like, you, we don't have anything in common but the Lord. But that's enough. 
Like you come to that place and you start hanging out with people that that's what you have in common. That is a good thing. That is enough to have in common. And there's so many blessings that come with that. You go, just hang around people that think exactly like you think about everything. You are prone to misinformation, to being suckered. To, we need to be around one another and, get, and let people rub off on us and also rub the raw parts of us, the, the sharpening, whatever it is that God wants to do in us. We need that. And it's never going to be by being in always in comfortable situations or always around people who are just like us. Some of my best friends now at this point aren't really like me at all. <laughs> and that's good. That's not, a, that's not a bad thing. Like, that's a good thing. Because it is, but they all, we all have the same foundation and it is in Christ. Our identity is found in Christ. And as our identity is found in Christ, we become new creations. And the, the works come out of us. We're not doing them to become, to be justified. He has already justified us. And so... It's coming out. I found this really cool story. We'll close here. Um, it's by Henry Ironside. Read it in one of the commentaries. Uh, and this was, uh, he was alive um, in the late 1800s to like the 1950s. Uh, at some point during his ministry. Um, here you go. Some years ago, I took with me to Oakland, California, a Navajo Indian. One Sunday evening, he went to our young people's meeting. They were talking about this epistle to the Galatians about law and grace, but they were not very clear about it. And finally, one turned to the Indian and said, Native American, okay, this was a different time, all right? There's, you know, okay, so political correct, we can, there we go. Um, he says, I wonder whether our Indian friend has anything to say about this. He rose to his feet and said, well, my friends, I've been listening very carefully because I am here to learn all I can in order to take it back to my people. I do not understand what you are talking about, and I do not think that you, that you do yourselves. <laughs> but concerning this law and grace, let me see if I can make it clear. I think it is like this. When Mr. Ironside brought me from my home, we took the longest railroad journey I had ever took. We got out at Barstow. And there I saw the most beautiful railroad station with a hotel above it. You could tell it was a long time ago. Anything's beautiful in Barstow. Um, so the most beautiful hotel above it I have ever seen. I walked all around and saw at one end a sign, do not spit here. I looked at that sign and then looked down at the ground and saw many had spitted there. And before, uh, before I think what I am doing, I've spitted there myself. Isn't that strange when the sign says, do not spit here? He says, I came to Oakland and come to your home, the home of the lady who invited me to dinner today. I am in the nicest home I have ever been in in my life. Such beautiful furniture and carpets. I hate to step on them. I sank into a comfortable chair and the lady said, now, John, you sit there while I go out and see whether the maid has dinner ready. I look around at the beautiful pictures at the grand piano, and I walk all around these rooms. I am looking for a sign. The sign I'm looking for is, do not spit here. But I look around these two beautiful drawing rooms, and I cannot find a sign like this. I think, what a pity when this is such a beautiful home to have people spitting all over it. Too bad they don't put up a sign. So I look all over the carpet, but cannot find that anyone has spitted here. And this is really old school. What a queer thing. 
that's, I guess that's a thing. He says, where the sign says, do not spit, a lot of people spitted. Here, where there is no sign, nobody spitted. He says, now I understand. That sign is, is the law. But inside the home, it is grace. They love their beautiful home and want to keep it clean. I think that explains this law and grace business. And he sat down. Yeah, he did pretty good. <laughs> this is the idea. is As we grow in the grace of God, we want to be closer to God. You, you start seeing sin as not as um, like getting away with something. You see it as a liability. You see it as a chain. You see it as the bars that are holding you in a prison. And as we grow closer to him in grace, we don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. The law points to it and we go, yeah, absolutely. And I want nothing to do with it. It doesn't bring us to a place where we come to salvation through it. But because we have salvation, we don't want to be run by sin anymore. We don't want to be violators of the law. We want to follow and honor him. So I want to encourage you this morning to recognize two things. One, we are guilty. And that is important. It is extremely important to, I think, constantly be reminded how guilty you are in, like, of yourselves. But, but it doesn't end there, just living on that guilt trip. That's not where we're supposed to stay. You're guilty, but God's, through God's grace, we are forgiven. And we are to walk as new creations, not under that guilt anymore in the same way. We recognize we're guilty in and of ourselves, but we are free in Christ. New creations, the, the whole, all, all the sin, all, the, all that's been paid for on the cross. And we're new in Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for um, what you did on the cross. And, and we thank you, Lord, even this morning as it's the first of the month, we have an opportunity to come before you and, and partake in communion. What a perfect message to go with that. 